I come in weakness every week to preach, but I feel the weight of my weakness a bit more this week. As we come to probably the next four weeks, we're going to hit some things that may trigger a nerve. Uh, Submission to government, submission, masters and slaves, submission in the household, which we'll probably do two weeks on. Let's see where we go. But I realise that I am a man who's often slips with my tongue. And last week I slipped with my tongue in my sermon in Brankston. I don't know if I said it here, but it caused a stir. And uh, I pray that God would strengthen me to control and bridle my tongue. But I do repent that at times I do not say things out of the purity of my heart and with the respect that I should Um, when it comes to preaching God's word. So as we come to these tough topics, I am willing to chat to you outside of the pulpit. I am not unapproachable. Uh, I will sit down and we can reason through scriptures, uh, but I will preach as compelled from the scriptures. And I pray that my tongue will be controlled to not say foolish things. No worries. So let's pray as we open God's word. first. 13 to 17. I'm also going to read, all the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil but living as slaves of God. Honour everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honour the emperor. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Holy Father, I thank you that you are strong when we are weak. I thank you that we can hide in the strength of you and that in you we can have highways to Zion in our hearts. And Lord, I pray that in our weakness you'd make us strong. In our folly you'd make us wise. In our evil deeds, you'd make us good. And in our unforgiveness, you'd make us gracious towards one another. Lord, we need humility today. We need it every day, but we need it as we come to your word, in a word that attacks our pride. And in many ways, wants us to surrender all to you and trust you with your plan and your purposes and not our plan and our purposes. So Lord, would we trust your design and trust your method of mission and trust the way you'll bring about the kingdom into your hands. Your capable, strong hands. Clothe us in the Holy Spirit. Give us understanding and wisdom. 
All for Jesus' glory. Amen. Amen. If you were living in Asia Minor under the lawless Emperor Nero and you had heard these words that we heard last week, but you, church, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, you'd be starting to think maybe that we could gain our freedom from Rome. That just maybe there's the Old Testament cry of a kingly Messiah, a warrior-like Messiah that was going to come and raise the church up as a holy nation that is going to cause an army to be built from Christians and they would go to war against the Romans and defeat the Roman Empire with the sword and as the sword went forth, the Christian faith would prevail as well. You could feel the weight of that, right? The, re- the letters being read, the churches are gathered, the elders have Peter's letter and they're, they're reading it and they're saying you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. And if you stopped there, you'd be like, let's go to war. Who's our champion? Yet it doesn't stop there. Peter has a different mission in mind. A different way of conquering in mind, which he has got from God and been inspired from God. And it starts with verse 12, which says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable. We looked at this last week, but I wanted to remind us of the significance of this statement. As a holy nation, which is what we are, we can have confidence in the fact that we are a holy nation. But as to how we respond to the outside world, it is to be honourable, upright and praiseworthy to God. And what does this look like? Small steps of obedience by each Christian in every place. It's ordinary, it's mundane lifestyle of repentance, belief and obedience. It may be the father in the household, though tired from labouring and providing leading his family in worship at home. And maybe the mother fighting the sins of her mind so that she can be patient with her children when they wake up in chaos. It may be the saint who goes to work every day and avoids gossip and slander and does not get involved in crude joking. This is honourable among the Gentiles. And this is part of the mission of God. That through honourable living... The kingdom of heaven will reach the nations and is reaching the nations. 1 Thessalonians 4.11 says something real interesting and I think it grates at my desire to move quickly. It says, but I urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, which is to love, it was the verse before, and to inspire, uh, to aspire, to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So many times throughout Scripture we hear this great charge of being a holy nation, a royal priesthood. You are the kingdom of heaven progressing forth, and then it's like a bringing down of, and this is going to be slow and quiet and steadfast. God is not in a hurry. We are in a hurry. But we need to slow down to God's pace. 
slow, small, and patient is the holy nation that conquers nations. Like leaven in the lump of dough that is kneaded over time, and over time the dough rises. Like a mustard seed that is small that grows in the garden. The mustard seed of these seven churches, or the yeast, the leaven of these seven churches grew. And after their generation, it grew again. And after their generation, it grew again. And by 300 and something after Christ, Rome fell to the gospel. Small, slow, patient, obedience through repentance and belief. No army, no sword. Just individual saints who make up the church, who lived faithfully to keep their conduct honourable and gave a reason for their faith in Jesus Christ. Proclamation and demonstration. Honourable conduct comes from humility to submit. First to God, but following God, the authorities, the masters for slaves, and the husbands for wives. Paul is about to set up, uh, Paul, Peter is about to set up teaching on submission. He's been preparing us to know the gospel, to know our place, to have a backbone, to be ready to stand upon the truth of God's word. And now he's giving us the mission of God as to how we are to live in this world as Christians who are a holy nation, set apart. It's practical and we can apply it to our life today. It's honourable living among the Gentiles. And his first point in verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. The Christian should not be coerced into submission. Submission is something we are to initiate. We take responsibility and we initiate the submission. Of course, first to God and His law and His spirit and following that to authorities. In all areas of life, we submit for the Lord's sake, for Jesus' sake whether to a human institution, whether to slaves to masters, which will be next week, or wives to husband, which is the following week or two weeks, we submit for Jesus because it's good and pleasing to Him and it's also how Christ lived. We submit because Christ demonstrated submission, perfect submission, perfect submission to the Father and the Father's will. So we should be thankful in our life every time we get to imitate our Saviour Jesus in submission. Philippians 2 reminds us who Jesus really is, right? Verse 6, who though was in the form, although he, Jesus, was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a slave. Think of the cross. Who was Christ submitting to? To God the Father. But visibly, what did it look like? He was submitting to the Jews and the Romans. He gave his life, he handed his life willfully over to the Jews and the Romans to create and build his church, to save his bride. In our life, you're reflecting Christ when we are are in subjection or submission to someone. 
but really we are submitting to Christ in that action. This is our foundation for the next three or four weeks. To remember as we speak about slaves and masters, which is going to be controversial when we see God's design and God's purpose for how he would overthrow slavery through obedient slaves is pretty much the summary of it. To this week, when we think about worldly authorities, earthly authorities, that when we submit to them, we are submitting like Christ submitted to his father and wives and husbands in the home. So that's our foundational opening passage. Be subject for the Lord's sake. To every human institution is this week's. We come to a difficult phrase to really understand. But if you have footnotes in your Bible, you may see down the bottom it says, to every institution created for people. A word created, used when it comes to founding or building a city, establishing a a city. So knowing that this is for our good. Institutions that are for the good of people. Not against people, not causing them to be uh, dominated or abused in any way, but for the good of people, for the flourishing of people. R.C. Sproul helps us to understand God's universe and his authority. He says this, The universe in which we live is not a democracy. God does not rule by referendum. It has been said many times that the Ten Commandments are not ten suggestions. There is a hierarchical structure of authority in the universe. And at the top of the structure is the sovereign God who reigns and rules. He has delegated all authority in heaven and on earth to his Son, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So at the top of this hierarchical structure of the universe is Christ. This we can all say amen to. God rules of his own wisdom. He does not ask for our vote or our position on things. But the rest of the world is not so. The universe is made up with laws and structures. God has put them in place. And in the scriptures, we come across many different government structures, many different nations with many different rulers. And not any of them are absolutely condemned except for one, the book of Judges. Anarchy. Man doing what was right in his own eyes. This is absolutely condemned. God does not want man to live wayward. God is a God of law. God is a God of authority. And he encourages and establishes and ordains rulership over nations for our own good. Ideally, it would be him and him alone. But because of sin, it is not him and him alone. He has servants. His servants are rulers and authorities in this world. Kings, emperors, presidents, prime ministers, whatever the title may be. And they have a specific role to reign in lawlessness, to reign in sin, to punish evil and to praise good. 
Judges was, of course, a book that was out of control as man did what he wanted in his life. But rule, rule, a, a ruler is a good and healthy thing. It reigns in sin. Knowing that there is someone that's going to punish sin in this world actually keeps us from living out our full weight of lawlessness, which naturally we long to do. Let's take away all laws and authorities and see how long Australia lasts for. As Christians, we would still be bound to God's law, of course. So therefore, every time we do not submit to rules that plague us, we are casting our vote to lawlessness. When we don't submit, we are putting our hand up and saying, you know what, I'd prefer to live in anarchy. I'd prefer to live after what I think is right and what I value. So every time we obey our employer, our school teacher, our, our, our road rules, the police, our parents, we give honour to Christ, who reigns over the whole universe. There's this next line after to every human institution that says, whether it is to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by God to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. The emperor as supreme. Another phrasing is as the one in authority. Now this is where we probably get to a place where we may end up in different places. We may have different convictions. I read probably the widest I've ever read for a sermon and found that this has been a controversial battle as to how the wisdom plays out to when we disagree with the government, to when we stand against. This requires wisdom and many great men of old like Calvin and Knox who were around in the 1600s, they did not agree. Bonhoeffer and other evangelical ministers did not agree in the time of Hitler. We may divide over the practical outworkings of this submission, but may we continue to love and care for one another and reason with one another well, as James 3 calls us to, to have wisdom from above. But this phrase here, as the one in authority, uh, whether it is the emperor's supreme or governor's is sent by God to punish. So what is the supreme authority? It's important for us to know this as the supreme authority in our country, so to know what we are submitting to. In some nations, the emperor, like Nero, uh, in the time of this letter, had supreme authority. He, he could really make decisions off a whim when he wanted, and that was the authority as, at the time. We don't live in a country like that. I don't know much about the Australian politics, which I take this sermon as much of a rebuke, but if you've listened to many Christians in America, you would have heard over the last couple of years, many of them refer to the Constitution. And Australians are like, why do they keep referring to the Constitution? Well, the reality is the Constitution is what reigns supreme in America. The Prime Minister does not have ultimate authority, nor do the governors have ultimate authority. The Constitution has ultimate authority. So last year and the year before, as we saw COVID plague the nation of America and Australia and the world, 
Many of the governors in different states in America tried to shut down churches and restrict their worship, but that was unconstitutional. They were not submitting to the law, so those rulers became lawless. What reigned supreme was the law, the penned law that was written down, not the governors in that country. As I said, I have not read into the Australian political process and how laws and these things are written down. I take this as a rebuke and I will be working this out more because I think as Christians we should know what we are submitting to. But what we do know is that there are laws on the roads and as Christians we should do, be- do our absolute best to deliberately submit because it is the written law. There was a... Nah, I'm not going to share it. <laughs> Taming that tongue. Um, I think Jesus gives us a really good example of what it looks like to be submissive to the government in a generous way in Matthew 5. In Matthew 5.41, he says this one line which we quite really don't understand. If, someone, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. The Roman centurion at the time could call any citizen to carry his gear for a mile. That was an acceptable distance. And Jesus is saying, really, this is a silly law. Why would a Christian obey this law? But he's saying, obey it and be generous in obeying it. As a Christian, honour the centurion by going with him two miles and be generous in your obedience. As Christians, we need to be the best citizens in our society. The best that are obedient to the law. We should know our law well so that we can be obedient to the law. And when we disobey, it will stand out. When Christians disobey, it will actually be a shock to the government that Christians are disobeying something serious. We'll see this in an example a bit later on. I know for me, I came to the conviction that doing cash jobs as an electrician was immoral according to the law of our land that we should pay tax on that money, so I either needed to have an ABN or stop doing them. Now I do electrical work for free, um, for those I know, and very rarely. But it's a small act of honourable living that many people will never see, but God's kingdom will use as it extends the boundaries of his kingdom into the world. Honourable living is being submissive to the law of our land and doing that well. In verse 15, it gives us this great statement, for this is the will of God. When we see this in scripture, it should give us a sigh of relief because we know the will of God. So many people get caught up on how am I, what am I meant to do? I'm waiting for God to call. God tells us many times what his will is. For us, here is one of them. This is the will of God. That by doing good, you should put the silence, the ignorance of foolish people. By doing good, we'll put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. This is reminding us that our good deeds and our good obedience to the government will actually cause people to wonder. But it will take time. 
Leaven doesn't make the dough rise instantly and nor does the mustard seed grow into a tree immediately. It takes time. It builds. As our church builds, there's more people who are living honorably in the world. There are more people living honorably, uh, obedient to the government. The church has to go out of their way in doing good so that those foolish people, which is anyone who doesn't know God, will be silenced. They'll be silenced when they tag us with the line of verse 12 that we are evildoers. Because they got no charge against us. Because in every area of the law of the land, we want to strive to be obedient and they have no charge against us. Let's take the early church in Jerusalem as an example. Rather than joining the war against Rome, they fled. There was a war in 66 to 70 AD against Rome. Jerusalem temple got destroyed and the Jews got massacred and the Christian church fled. They left. They didn't go to war against Rome. They fled out of the city. But then they had this practice, they had this ceremony to Caesar throughout this time to show loyalty to Caesar. It's probably like our welcome to the country before a speech. And the Jews, uh, sorry, the Christians in Jerusalem refused to participate in it. The world around them must have thought it was a bit, uh, uh, was it foolish to be so obedient to general laws, but to disobey on some silly little tradition that almost was meaningless. But the, Jew, the Christian church in Jerusalem wanted to make a clear distinction that their loyalty stood with God and not Caesar. They were obedient, obedient in all other areas of the, of the law, but this one they would not do. Think of David, uh, David Daniel in Babylon. He was so obedient to take a pagan name, but would not take food that was probably sacrificed to idols. Shadrach, Meshach, Shach, and Abednego would not bow their knee to the golden statue, but would obey in all other areas. When we disobey, we are still obedient in all other areas. That is the important part of a Christian's obedience and submission. That just because the government has now said it's illegal to carry a Bible with us, but we still do it, we still obey the rules, we don't throw out the government completely. The Jerusalem church was good at this. It sent a stir throughout the nations. The early church was a church that balanced obedience with disobedience mostly well from what we can read in the scriptures and what we have as external letters. So let me be bold to examine ourselves. And let's not be foolish that the last two years have caused quite a debate in the church as a wide, not in our church, but also as a church nationally and globally. Should we obey the government when it comes to restrictions of church community? And all I'm asking is that we examine the last two years. Let's not move on like it just happened and yes, now we're free and we don't have to think about it anymore and we don't have to have, to have tough conversations because it keeps coming up in Scripture. So if we examine the last two years, 
Did we miss an opportunity to show our obedience to God and obedience to the government and how that is contrast? Did we miss an opportunity to say we value the government and we are obedient in all areas of the government when it comes to Christ and His church, we will stand. We will worship in song as He commands. We will gather as He commands. Because we will fear God over man or illness. Can we just examine that over the next little while? To have conversations. Because we don't know what Australia is going to be in five or ten years' time. Two years' time. We don't know what nation we're going to live in. We don't know how much freedom we're going to have. And the question of whether we should obey or disobey is going to come up again. It is going to happen again. So we should examine. Examine our motives. Examine our heart. Humble ourselves. And question what are we fearing? Because this final mandate of this teaching in verse 17, this almost war cry of Peter's that I would see as a a memorization is fear God, honor the emperor. God gets the higher authority. But the emperor still is obeyed. So in our good deeds of obedience to the government, when we disobey on one thing, we don't throw out all their authority. We are still the utmost of citizens, the best of all citizens. And in verse 16, Peter goes on to say, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as, it says servants in the ESV, but there's a footnote that actually is slaves. Two different words. It's where servant is where we get our word deacon from. The other word is slaves here, slaves of God. Deliberate use of the word slave, it has a greater weight. And really what we're seeing is the wise strategies of God in submission with wise disobedience. Live out by, by being this holy nation as those who are obviously free, but slaves to God. It's irony. Once you were not obviously free, once you were bound to your various kinds of idols, once you were bound to sin and you could only sin, you could only disobey God, but now you are bound to God. And in Romans 6.22 it says, Now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the return you get is sanctification and its end, eternal life. Very interesting to say that you've been set free from sin and become slaves to God. To be a slave to God is that you will guarantee sanctification. You will put away disobedience and you'll put on obedience. That is a guarantee of being a slave of God. Another good thing about being a slave of God is He will never let you go. You are bound for life. You are bound to Him and His righteousness. You see, true, slave, true freedom is found in living according to our design. 
and not what's right in our own eyes or having our own truth. They are actual slavery to us. Grace's granddad used to give this analogy of freedom by saying it's like a train on a train track. If it goes off the train track, it it is in slavery, it is bound, it cannot move. But while ever it's on the train track, it has absolute freedom to go where the train track goes. You were designed for a purpose. You were designed with something in mind to image God. And when you are set free from slavery to sin, you are enslaved to God, therefore to live the way you were meant to live. And this Christian freedom was what caused outsiders in the world to question what was going on in the church. The early church couldn't have been more exclusive. They met behind closed doors. They hid from a lot of people. They went into the business and the marketplace as individuals, but their gatherings were secret. And Galatians 2 reveals this in verse 4 and 5 when it says, Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery... To them we did not yield into submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Spies slipping into the church, pretending to be Christian brothers so that they could see what is this freedom they have? What is the freedom that these people have? In the latest missional trend, I think, over the last... 15 or so years, missional church or gospel-centered church, both great phrases, really good to think about, but the emphasis was so much on getting out, being among, having non-Christian friends, building non-Christian communities, but the New Testament emphasis on building a Christian community, a Christian community that encourages one another in obedience and deliberate, wise freedom that is bound to God. The Christian church is meant to have a rich community that intrigues people and is an enigma to the world. There was something that they wanted to see. There is something that I don't understand. There is something about the way they honour people, love one another, fear God and honour the emperor. There's something about them that needs to be identified. They have a freedom and a joy that can't be explained. So we're going to send spies in and we're going to try and bring them back into submission. The mission of God is only, only moving from the church. The individual missionary or evangelist is outside of God's will. It comes from the church. The mission of God is that the body of Christ would go together in community, in an area, and plant roots, roots and be like leaven or a mustard seed that would grow over time in good deeds that would put to shame foolish ignorance of the world and cause people to ask, what is the reason for your hope? Your evangelism must be connected to your church community. Your evangelism must be connected to your church community. 
Peter ends this little section before he goes on to slaves and masters, before he goes on to wives and husbands, with this mantra. Honour everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honour the emperor. This is a great thing for us to remember. Memorise it. It's simple. It's sharp. It gets to the point. It is the mission of God. There's two comparisons that he makes. Honour everyone. Love the brotherhood. It's about loyalty. As a Christian, everyone outside the church deserves your respect. They don't have to earn it. This is not the world. We are Christians. They're made in the image of God. They deserve your respect. Every race, every background, every religion, every sin that they have in their life, we just give them respect. They've earned it because God created them. But the people in the church, they're inseparable from from you. You are to love them. You are to have sincere brotherly love for them, as it said at the start of 1 Peter. Sincere brotherly love. So that when spies come in among us, so to speak, they cannot separate us. We stand as a collective. We stand as one. We are not divided. Your relationship inside the church, therefore, should be starkly different to those outside the church. And when push comes to shove from the world, we stand with the church. Jesus was said to be friends of tax collectors and sinners. And I think we've taken that too far in our day. Of course we are to be friends with tax collectors and sinners. We are not to reject them or hate them. We are not to marginalize them. We are to love them and be there, uh, be around them, but they are not who we are loyal to. We are loyal to the saints, to the church. So when they call us to sin, as Proverbs says, entice us into sin, we are wise and we walk away from them whether it's slander, gossip, or something more major, as Proverbs says, to take advantage and kill someone. God willing, that does not happen in our community. But your loyalty is to the brotherhood. Respect everyone. Love the church. The other half of this mantra is about authority. Fear God and honour the emperor. Who does the emperor get lumped in with? Everyone. Not even on the same scale as God. Not even close to being next to God. God is the one we fear. God is our supreme authority. What God's word says goes. We submit to him and him alone. Jesus taught this, the comparison between God and rulers of this world when he said, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear Him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Fear God. God is our highest authority and His Word reveals His authority to us. Compared to honour the emperor. If there is someone out of everyone that we probably don't honour well, it's probably our leaders. When Scott Morrison went on a holiday, instead of staying and, I don't know, taking a hose to fight the fires, everyone slammed him. 
We, as Christians, honour him. He's caring for his family. That is an honourable thing. I don't want his job, and I don't want the burden on my family of his job. We honour him. Doesn't matter what political view we come from, what side we lean on, we honour him for something. Donald Trump, everyone loves to dishonour Donald Trump. He is a sinful man, he is a vile man. Find something to honour about him in a conversation. His hair, glorious hair, I think. Isn't it a week? I don't know. He's made in the image of God. They had the lowest unemployment rate at the time. There's other things that I don't feel like we need to quote. But honour them. The new king, not as righteous, not as, not as, not like his mother. How do we honour him? If we are to honour everyone and honour the emperor specifically, it is a way in our society that we can stand out as Christians. That we can not engage in gossip and slander of our leaders, but rather find something. And maybe it's to do some research on them. Their policies, the way they're moving forward, there's something to honour there. But more than that, fear God. So church, I'll leave you with the mission of God is to, ch- to live honourably as the church among Gentiles. To love one another with a sincere family love. To fear God and honour authority. And when people ask for a reason for your hope, point them to the King of Kings who is Jesus. The mission starts here in this community and it moves out from our church. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, there's a lot a lot in this passage and a lot that was not taught. And Lord, I pray that as we love your word and dwell in your word over many years and decades to come, we'll grow in more and more wisdom. Holy Spirit, humble us. I pray that we would be humble in submission to be whether people see it or not knowing that you see it Lord for your sake we obey every law and authority for your sake that is reasonable and does not go against your word Lord may you Give us the gift of the fruit of the Spirit that we may be patient. Know that your kingdom's not coming overnight. Know that your kingdom has been building since Christ walked this earth. Would we be okay with small, steadfast obedience of repentance, belief, 
and submission to your word. And from that and through our proclamation, would people bow their knee to you as their king? And would this room be filled with many more obedient slaves of you who live free with joy, waiting for your kingdom to come? Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.